This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain, the largest and most popular philosophy show in the world. I bring to you perhaps my most important presentation, the case against China for the current world pandemic that we are groaning and laboring and losing money and lives and freedoms to, the coronavirus outbreak of 2020. So I'm going to approach this as if it were a crime being investigated. Is there a potential crime? Is there a suspect? And we will go through the evidence patiently and consistently and persistently to find out who is to blame, if anyone, for the current horrors we are experiencing. Now, first thing to understand is China is characterized by the Chinese Communist Party. And if there is complicity, if there is guilt on the part of the Chinese Communist Party, this is the biggest blow to the reputation of communism that has occurred since the 1960s when Khrushchev revealed the endless crimes of Stalin and Solzhenitsyn revealed the prison camps. So if this is a crime of some kind, it is one of the largest, if not the largest crime that has ever been perpetrated against humanity because now we are in a permanent situation. A war is temporary, but coronavirus is now a permanent part and a mutating part of our landscape, and it matters significantly who is to blame. If you look at Chernobyl, if you look at the original SARS outbreak in 2003, lessons were supposed to have been learned, and specifically lessons were supposed to have been learned after the SARS outbreak, which is why so many countries signed these extremely grave and profound treaties regarding how pandemics were to be handled, which I will talk about over the course of this presentation. It really matters who is to blame, if anyone. So let me start you off with an analogy, and I will, at the end of this presentation, show you how this analogy fits every single part of this situation. Here's a hypothetical. A man's wife goes missing. We'll call him Bob. We'll call her Sally. Bob waits for over six weeks before notifying the police. He tells the police, oh, Sally was fine. She called me. She said she just wanted to go and travel and roam around, and she's totally fine. This actually turns out to be a lie. Sally never did contact him after she went missing. Now, when the police ask to question the man, the man refuses, hangs up and refuses to talk to the police. When the police get a search warrant, it turns out that the man destroyed all of his records and his computers right after his wife went missing. His wife's bed, clothing, personal items, and so on were all incinerated, wiped from existence, right after she went missing. It also turns out that the man called the insurance company and demanded payment long before he called the police. He also threatened anyone who knew his wife if they said anything to the police that he would harm them grievously. This is called witness intimidation, of course. Bob is also found to have recently bought arsenic and chloroform. Chloroform is a knockout gas. Bob also has a blog wherein he wrote exactly how much he hated his wife and exactly how he would kill her by chloroforming her and then poisoning her with arsenic. Next thing you know, Bob's wife Sally is found dead and buried in his backyard. She died of arsenic. 
And then when the autopsy and analysis is done, traces of chloroform are found on her face. Just want you to think of this as a very bad and obvious episode of some crime show. If all of this was presented to you as a jury member, even though there was no video of Bob chloroforming and poisoning his wife, would you find Bob guilty? Well, you would find Bob guilty of one of two things. One is optional to some degree, and one is not. Now, the optional one is, did Bob kill his wife? Is this proof beyond a reasonable doubt? Is this circumstantial evidence beyond a reasonable doubt? Motive, means, intent? A huge amount of evidence as to what Bob did? Well, I guess you could debate that for about 15 seconds. But what is beyond dispute is all of the other illegal actions that Bob has committed in the course of this investigation. He waited a long time to notify the police. He lied to the police about Sally contacting him. He, of course, is allowed to refuse the police access to him for questioning, but when they get a search warrant, it turns out that he has destroyed a huge amount of evidence that is crucial to finding out where Sally went. All of his wife's personal items, her clothing, her bills, her paperwork, her computer has all been incinerated and destroyed. That's called destruction of evidence. Witness intimidation. If Bob threatens anyone who talks to the police about his relationship with his wife, his experiences with his wife, what he's ever he said about his wife, that's called witness intimidation. That is also illegal. Destruction of evidence can be considered an admission of guilt. And so you are either going to find Bob guilty of killing his wife, which all the evidence would point to, or you absolutely would have to find Bob guilty of a whole bunch of procedural crimes, including things like witness intimidation, destruction of evidence, and so on. So there's no way, given this behavior, that Bob comes out innocent. Now, let's turn to coronavirus, and I will show you how this all matches at the end. We'll start with language. So it is important to be detailed and specific about the language you're going to use. So SARS-CoV-2 SARS coronavirus 2 is SARS, but it is not called that in common parlance. It's referred to as coronavirus, COVID-19, etc. And that's because, of course, SARS is pretty terrifying. And so I think it's kind of like a spin control thing. Don't get people associating what's going on with SARS, sudden acute respiratory syndrome. So SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. The disease that the virus produces is called COVID-19. I'm going to be talking a lot about viruses in this presentation. I really, really want to make that clear. Now, the name results from the need to track it annually. So there's COVID-19. There will be mutations, of course. There'll be a COVID-20, 21, 22, etc., etc., etc. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle, the toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube. This Franken virus is out in the world. It's not going back anywhere. And this is why I say, if the Chinese Communist Party is guilty, it is perhaps the greatest crime ever committed against humanity, which will have to struggle and labor under this virtually in perpetuity. Depending, of course, on what happens with a vaccine and what happens with treatment, this is the potential. So, of the virus SARS-CoV-2, more than 45 have been sequenced. Most are the Wuhan strand with single nucleotide changes, virtually identical. 
And there are currently two main strains of SARS-CoV-2, RATG13 and the Wuhan virus, which do act differently in the body. So SARS-CoV-2 is a combination of a bat SARS-like virus plus SARS coronavirus with four HIV inserts. It's not AIDS, but HIV inserts, which I will get to shortly. So why is this all so horribly dangerous? Well, I want you to think of a wheelbarrow full of random keys. You'd ever have that superintendent who'd sort of roam around your building. I grew up in apartments and sounds like a guy in chain mail, just chung, 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 right? So I want you to think of a wheelbarrow full of keys, thousands and thousands of keys, right? And I want you to think of human cells as having a lock. And in order for a virus to enter and damage human cells, it needs to have a key that goes into this lock. And those keys are extraordinarily rare, which is why there are so many of us and we're hard to kill with viruses these days. So this bat SARS-like virus does have a spike protein, but it doesn't plug into the human, what's called the ACE2 receptor, right? That's the, the keyhole that the key goes into. It's the lock that the key goes into. So the bat SARS-like virus has a spike protein that does not plug into the human ACE2 receptor. That's why it's not too, too dangerous. SARS coronavirus does have this spike protein. It does have this key that goes into human cells. Now, why is this so dangerous? So SARS-CoV-2 has the replication rate of bat SARS-like virus, but with the addition of the spike protein from SARS coronavirus. So this is what's so important to understand. This is why I call it a Frankenvirus. It has the worst of both worlds. Well, best for the virus, worst for us. So you have, or somebody, or somehow, a virus has been combined that has the high reproduction rate of a low-danger virus along with the high danger rate of a low reproduction rate virus. So you have high danger and high reproduction, which is why it is spreading like wildfire. The odds of this occurring in a single bat species, then transmitting to human beings, is highly, highly, highly unlikely. The horseshoe bats, which are the primary holder of these coronaviruses, are high in the mountains, deep in caves, don't have much contact with human beings, and we'll get into all of that in a few minutes. But I want you to look at these odds because there are things that are possible, things that are probable, things that are improbable, and things that are extraordinarily improbable, and things that are impossible. At a certain degree of improbability, it blends into impossible. Like, you could sit in a room and all of the random motion of uh, the oxygen atoms could have them all go to the top of the room and then there's a vacuum below and you just oh there's no oxygen below and you just choke out and maybe once every 20 universes something like that could happen but it's impossible in any functional context so this is the deadly combination we are seeing in real time so let's look at the background and the situation so first of all the official story started in late December 2019, where they said a pneumonia of unknown origin was claimed to be associated with the seafood market in Wuhan, China. And within a few days, the seafood market was closed and scrubbed. That is extraordinarily wrong, dangerous, irresponsible, destructive, and I would argue, from a pandemic standpoint, it's criminal. Because you have 
the source of a virus, all being closed and scrubbed and disinfected and destroyed. You can't do any forensics. You can't easily track the people. You can't measure everything. You can't, I mean, it's just gone. You have destroyed the scene of the crime, so to speak, which is catastrophic and has been catastrophic. And why would you want to do that? Why wouldn't you, if this was zoonotic, if it was natural in origin, why would you want to scrub the entire scene of the place you say it started from before you've had a chance to thoroughly examine it, before outside experts have come in, before you've contacted everyone? Come on. There's a reason why, if you're claiming it comes from this market, and then, oh, look, the market is gone, closed, scrubbed, destroyed, nobody can prove it. So why would you want to destroy the evidence? Well, I think we all know that. So by late January 2020, the Huanan seafood market was officially considered to be the source of this novel coronavirus. However, a paper published in the Lancet, highly prestigious medical journal, revealed that the first patient, December the 1st, 2019, had no relation to the Huanan seafood market. No relation. If you are saying that it came from this seafood market, that hypothesis, that conjecture really, is thoroughly destroyed by the first instance of somebody not having a relation to the Huanan seafood market, and the very first patient had no such relation. According to some official documents that have been reported upon, November the 17th, 2019, was the date of the first infected patient, and this is six and a half weeks before China alerted the World Health Organization. Now, I really want to point this out, and I'll go into this in more detail later. China does not have a choice about whether it informs the world of a potential illness, a potential infection, a potential pandemic. This is not optional. There are signed, grievous, fundamentally essential treaties, a lot of whom, a lot of which came in after the 2003 SARS crisis, that China must inform the world, as must all signatories to these documents, these health documents, these health treaties. You must tell the world this is not optional. This would be another crime. No epidemiological link was found between the first patient and later cases. So there's a source that's not the first patient and is not the Huanan seafood market. Very, very important. There's a cause or a source to this new coronavirus, this deadly coronavirus, that is neither the first patient nor the Huanan seafood market. By December 10th, two of the three new cases had no relation to the Huanan seafood market. The claim, of course, is that the coronavirus came from bats, but no bats were sold at the Huanan seafood market and no bats were found there. Two species of bats do host a subset of beta coronaviruses, especially horseshoe bats. Now, why didn't the World Health Organization call out China for not informing the World Health Organization of a new and dangerous pneumonia? For six and a half weeks. Why did the World Health Organization not call out China? Well, because the World Health Organization is hopelessly corrupt and in the pocket of China, as are many international agencies. So these uh, beta coronaviruses, beta is a subset of viruses to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. 14 out of the 41 early patients, again, had no relation to the Huanan seafood market. Destroys the conjecture completely and totally. Now, the guilty party, in general, accuses others. And so if the Chinese Communist Party is pointing at this Huanan seafood market as the source of the coronavirus, and they have destroyed and scrubbed 
the seafood market, and they are openly stating, or events have come out, or the data has come out, that many of the early patients had no relation to the seafood market, it means that they're covering up the true source. You wouldn't destroy the market if it genuinely was. You'd invite people to come in, you'd get other experts, you'd open up your books. So they destroy the evidence, they point at the market, though they have direct evidence to the contrary, it's because they're covering up the true source of the virus, without a doubt. January 29, 2020, an article in the aforementioned Lancet revealed that out of 99 COVID-19 cases, 50 had no relation to the Huanan seafood market. So this means that between a third and a half were infected with no exposure to this seafood market. The first case infection must have been in November 2019, which means that the virus was spreading weeks before the Huanan seafood market cluster. So if there's a virus that gets out in Wuhan, you would expect there to be a cluster at a place like the Huanan Seafood Market, which is not, of course, a clean place, but it's a place where a lot of people congregate to get their food. So, of course, you would expect a cluster there. But assuming that the cluster is where people gather, and that's where it came from, no, no, no. It was brought into the Huanan Seafood Market, and it came out of it concentrated. In December 2019, Chinese authorities established diagnostic criteria for SARS-CoV-2, which included exposure to the Huanan Seafood Market. Now, that is truly astonishing, and that's as as guilty a set of confessions as I can conceivably imagine. So they said, in order to be diagnosed with SARS-CoV-2, you have to have the symptoms, you have to test positive, and you have to have been exposed to the Huanan seafood market. Come on. I mean, that is forcing the data to fit the conjecture to the point where the data breaks and uh, the world takes a blow. The the World Health Organization switched the name from Wuhan pneumonia to SARS-CoV-2. This is, of course, entirely political. It's covering up for the communists and these endless accusations of racism. Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. You have uh, the Spanish flu. You have German measles. You have a wide variety of illnesses that are named for their point of origin. It's very common. It's very natural. And um, the fact that they would change it again is part of the whole PR spin that is going on at the expense of human beings actually surviving this thing. January the 10th, 2020, China published the full SARS-CoV-2 genome sequences. There were five in total. Now, the sequence, of course, is published in order to allow for the building of test kits. You can't test for something that you haven't genetically identified, at least not very easily. So the full genome sequence was published. Now, this, of course is extraordinarily fast. It's kind of hard to get across just how implausible it is that in the tiny, tiny amount of time since they first got wind of this thing that they were able to publish the full genome sequence, right? You've got a pneumonia of unknown origin. So you have to, first of all, people are just sick, right? And then you've got to identify what is actually causing the sickness. You have to extract it. You have to purify it. And then you have to sequence uh, the genome. I mean, this is long, complicated stuff. And the idea that you'd get five of these things in this tiny, short amount of time. How did they publish these sequences so quickly if they didn't already have the sequences? This would normally take months. And we're talking about early to mid-January. Now, why would they already have the sequence of SARS-CoV-2? Well, we'll get to that in a minute or two. February the 3rd, 2020, Chinese scientists published a paper noting that SARS-CoV-2 was, quote, closely related 
end quote, to two viruses sampled from bats in Zhushan by the People's Liberation Army, 100% in some areas. That is important for reasons we'll get to. Well, it's obviously important as I'm saying it now. We'll get to the reasons why in a couple of minutes. So there are, of course, two possibilities. Either SARS-CoV-2 was a mutation from the bat SARS-like virus, or it was bioengineered from the bat virus. These are really the only two possibilities. Now, for a bat virus to develop that key in a wheelbarrow of keys insert to the human cells, the ACE2 receptors, it would have to develop this. And why would a bat necessarily do that? I mean, it would happen, I guess, just by random genetic accident again, although it having this particular key is, to me, a ridiculous coincidence to, to believe that that would happen just zoonotically is ridiculous. But let's say it did develop such a thing. Well, that virus not, would not last particularly long. It provides no advantage to the bat or to the virus itself without a human host. So the bat's 900 kilometers away from Wuhan. If they develop this kind of virus, how on earth would it end up spreading like wildfire to people? And why on earth would it spread 900 kilometers away from its origin source? There is functionally no real chance that this resulted from a natural mutation that allowed the virus to jump species. It really is not possible. Look, it's sort of like you go to the grocery store and you find the last banana. I know, bear with me, but please understand. Is it possible that a strange coincidence of winds plucked the banana from someplace in the tropics, put it high up in the stratosphere, and then blew it through the open doors of your grocery store? Well... I guess, theoretically, once in 20 universes, such a thing could conceivably happen. But would you probably say that it was picked and transported and delivered by a truck so that you could eat it? Of course. Believing that this Frankenvirus was a natural mutation that jumped species is like believing that a pile of car junk in a scrapyard could, through the process of being attacked by a hurricane, be assembled perfectly into a car. Is it theoretically possible? Come on. I mean, we have to have probabilities in our processing of reality. Right? So this S protein is the key. Human cells are the lock. Imagining opening a lock, but the first key picked from a random bag of keys. Right? A big wheelbarrow full of keys. You dig your hand in, you pick it up, and you, you, open, the, you open the door right away. That's crazy, right? So the way I process it for myself just understand, right, the difference between these two things, right, the two source viruses. So let's say you have a thief who breaks into your house but doesn't really do any damage. It's easy for him to get into your house, but, you know, what does he do? He changes the, uh, the time on your alarm clock, uh, maybe he unplugs your television, and he takes a cupcake, and then he leaves, right? So he gets into your house pretty easily, doesn't do that much damage. Now, there's another thief who comes in and kills your pets and sets fire to your house, but it's almost impossible for him to get in, right? These are the two two viruses, right? The combination of the two is the thief that can very easily get into your house and kill your pets and set fire to it. Well, that's what happened. And the idea that this happened just through random mutations, come on. We have to, I mean, we're not that bad at math anymore as a culture, are we? The S proteins in SARS-CoV-2 come from SARS coronavirus. The natural SARS strain doesn't have a strong replicating ability, which is why it killed some but didn't become a pandemic. This is the deadly combo. It did not come from bats. 
It did not come from the Huanan seafood market, and it did not come from nature. But there's a possibility, you say. Yes, and maybe every single criminal has an evil twin who somehow lives off the grid and escapes. Oh, come on. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Now, let's talk about the, uh, the cover-up. So, this is uh, the Chinese Level 3 lab. It's really a level four lab, but they call it a level three lab. It's different levels for dealing with different vir um, virulence of pathogens. So the Chinese level three lab that first published the SARS-CoV-2 genome sequence was ordered to destroy all virus samples and forbidden from releasing any more papers or data. Now, I'm sure you know, but I will just remind you that the Chinese level three lab is right there in Wuhan, just a stone's throw from where the supposed source of the um, coronavirus outbreak was. So, ordered to destroy all virus samples and forbidden from releasing any more papers or data. Why? Why? Would the first thing that you would want to focus on when you're dealing with a virulent new pneumonia that's killing people, would you say, well, we got we to call it level three lab, really a level four lab, and we got to tell them to destroy all of their virus samples and we must forbid them from releasing any more papers or data. I mean... We'll get into the history of this, but pre-2008, the viruses that these guys were working with were kind of level three after that. When they designed a bat virus that jumped to primates with human ACE2 receptors, well, then it became a level four lab and should have been something that was never, ever, ever done. Ever done. Jan 2nd, 2020, director of the Wuhan Virology Lab prohibited his staff from disclosing any information about the new outbreak. Why? I mean, these people would be helpful. Why not have them talk about all that they know, all that they've seen? Maybe they've got some antibodies. They've worked on something similar. Why? If it, this has nothing to do with the Wuhan Virology Lab, why would you forbid people from talking about it? The Chinese Communist Party ignored the virus for over six weeks, denied human-to-human -human transmission, and censored data. Right? The denial of human-to-human -human transmission is very important. If it just goes bats to human, but it doesn't go human-to-human, -human, then the people who eat the bats, so to speak, will get sick but they won't make anyone else sick. But China knew, knew about human-to-human -human transmission and kept it from the world, which is why the borders stayed open and this hellish thing spread. China's Wuhan Virology Lab and others had been researching for years how to get bat coronaviruses to transmit to humans. Now, you say, why? Well, so if you want to develop a vaccine for a non-existent ailment, a, va a virus, then you will supercharge that virus. It's called gain of function. You give it horrible new functions, and then you try and find a vaccine or a treatment for it just in case it ever happens naturally. That's sort of the idea behind it. But why you would create something this ghastly and impossible, this could not, in my opinion... And I think there's good data behind it. I'll put the sources to all this below. This can't get from bats to people. You don't just spontaneously develop this one in a million key to get into human cells. No, no, no. This is designed. This is designed. Doesn't mean the same as it's a weapon, but it is designed. That we have to accept. Because if you get this bat coronavirus that gets into human beings right next to the lab that's been studying how to get bat coronaviruses into human beings for years, come on. I mean, you... Yeah. It gets, it's, it's so tiresome when people are covering all of this stuff up.
Now, you would create something like this for whatever God knows reason, and then, of course, once you create it, then the military is going to be quite interested in it as a weapon. Now, of course, bioweapons were outlawed in 1925, but, uh, well, people genuinely believe, and it's genuinely accepted that China has a bioweapons program. And, of course, the Wuhan Virology Lab is the only level four lab in the country would be central to that. So, yeah, researchers have to supercharge the virus to get a vaccine. That's sort of the theory. But why you would create something this improbable and deadly when you'd never need a vaccine for it if you hadn't created it is right. So you probably heard this name, uh, Xi Zhengli, as far back as 2010. This woman uh, at the, um, uh, who was, uh, ended up working for a while at the Wuhan Virology Lab had published the methodology for getting these coronaviruses to infect human bodies. So come on, the idea that comes through the fish market when you have the virology lab that has been studying how to get these coronaviruses to infect human bodies for a long time. She was a minor author in a 2008 paper uh, in the Journal of Virology uh, from February 2008, and the quote, or the name of the article, is Difference in Receptor Usage Between Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, SARS, and Coronavirus and SARS-like Coronaviruses of Bat Origin. Right, difference in receptor usage between SARS and coronavirus and SARS-like coronavirus of bat origin. Right, This is the ingredients to this hell cake. Right? And this puts the HIV homology in. So in 2015, Xi Zhengli published a paper using the SARS virus as a framework and replacing the key S protein with one found in a bat coronavirus. Because she did this, the novel virus could in fact cross species could in fact cross species, right? She replaced the key S protein with one found in a bat coronavirus so that it could plug into other species. Mice infected with this virus had permanent and severe lung damage. The first primate model of SARS was developed in 2006, and there would be a lot of interest in being able to develop new monkey models. Very lucrative, right? Because the next move was to experiment on primates. You have a coronavirus that goes from bats to people emerging right next to the lab that has been studying for years how to get coronaviruses to go from bat to people and has succeeded. And has succeeded. This is something that just came out as I came to record. I'll throw it in here. Source below. This is from the Daily Mail. Revealed U.S. government gave $3.7 million grant to Wuhan Lab at Center of Coronavirus Leak Scrutiny. That was performing experiments on bats from the caves where the disease is believed to have originated. The U.S. National Institute of... The things I have to read. The U.S. National Institute of Health, a government agency, awarded a $3.7 million research grant to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Boy, it really does take a National Institute of Health to help fund the most likely origin of a global pandemic, because that's... Well, that's not really how you spell health, is it? The lab is the center of several conspiracy theories. Ah, the CIA phrase used to dismiss questioning the blindingly improbable. The lab is the center of several conspiracy theories that suggested it's the original source of the coronavirus outbreak. The Institute experimented on bats from the source of the coronavirus. They were captured more than a thousand miles away in Yunnan. Sequencing of the COVID-19 genome has traced it to bats in Yunnan's caves. So you understand? No bats sold 
in the Huanan Seafood Market, bats a thousand miles away. This is the source of coronavirus, and the only bats in Wuhan were the bats in the virology lab, right next to where COVID-19 emerged. The U.S. government funded research on coronavirus transmission in the lab over the past decade. <laughs> so, I mean, China's accusations that it came from the U.S., financially, maybe. The Chinese laboratory, this is to continue the article, the Chinese laboratory at the center of scrutiny over a potential coronavirus leak has been using U.S. government money to carry out research on bats from the caves which scientists believe are the original source of the deadly outbreak. The Wuhan Institute of Virology undertook coronavirus experiments on mammals captured more than 1,000 miles away in Yunnan, which were funded by this $3.7 million grant from the U.S. government. Sequencing of the COVID-19 genome has traced it back to bats found in Yunnan caves, but it was first thought to have transferred to humans at an animal market in Wuhan. No, it wasn't first thought. It was first propaganda covered up by the Chinese Communist Party. The revelation that the Wuhan Institute was experimenting on bats from the area already known to be the source of COVID-19 and doing so with American money has sparked further fears that the lab and not the market is the original outbreak source. Well, of bloody course it is. Okay, let's talk about the HIV insert. So SARS-CoV-2 has gene sequences from HIV. There are four of them. They're copy and paste sources. Now, there was Indian researchers who revealed this. They withdrew their paper for unknown reasons, but the gene sequences are confirmed and available in the publicly available genome sequence. You can go and look this up. If you know what to look for, you can go and find these HIV inserts. They are detailed. They are the odds of this somehow coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A thousand monkeys typing for a thousand years can produce the works of Shakespeare. But at some point coincidence strains credulity, right? So yeah, these gene sequences from HIV are quite significant. And the idea that you're just going to get four copy and paste inserts from HIV into SARS-CoV-2, and this is just going to happen zoonotically? Come on. So the bat theory makes no sense. There are no bats in the seafood market, no relevant horseshoe bats within 900 kilometers of Wuhan, and over a thousand miles away was the actual source, and the only place these people, these bats were being studied was in the virology lab, which was right next to where the outbreak occurred. I mean, come on, right? The only bat viruses in Wuhan were at the level four virology lab. So what's the motive? What could possibly be happening here? Well, here's one important motive, which has to do with finances. So the U.S. provided a new drug, remdesivir, for free to China to help in the treatment of COVID-19 patients. On January the 21st, 2020, the Wuhan Institute of Virology filed a Chinese patent from, for remdesivir. Remember I said the guy called the insurance company before the police? China was still lying to the world about coronavirus, about COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2. But the Wuhan Institute of Virology filed a Chinese patent for this new drug, which had been provided as a charitable donation to help treat COVID-19 patients. Well, that goes to tell you just how sociopathic and cold and monstrous and exploitive and power and profit-seeking the Wuhan Institute of Virology was and is. Hey, thanks for the free drug. We're going to patent it now and make a fortune. Man, 
Now, here's another situation. February the 7th, 2020. After leaks accusing the Wuhan Institute of Virology of creating and leaking SARS-CoV-2, the top biochemical weapons expert of the People's Liberation Army took over the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Hmm, we're concerned that this might have been created as a weapon of war. Don't worry. We will allay those concerns by putting our top biochemical weapons expert in the army in charge of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. February 14th, 2020. Chinese leader Xi demanded a focus on biosecurity and that a new biosecurity legal framework be accelerated, right? February the 14th, 2020. According to some of these numbers, this is in the midst of a growing, explosive, incredibly dangerous pandemic. And he's like, hmm, you know what really should really focus is on biosecurity. Uh, why don't you focus on, say, shutting down all the wet markets in China? If you really believe that these are the source, why don't you shut them all down? Well, we can't really do that because we're focusing on dealing with this new pandemic by focusing on biosecurity. Well, that tells you all you need to know about where the Chinese Communist Party knows, how they know, and what they know, where the source of this virus is. If you're focusing on biosecurity, it's because biosecurity is a problem. And if you're focusing it on the midst of a pandemic, it's because you don't want any other samples getting out. Now, how they get out, we may never know. I've heard a variety of theories, some with supposed witnesses who, of course, generally remain anonymous, some not. It could have been a spill, it could have been a leak, it could have been somebody who had bat urine or bat blood or a splash or a bite goes out into the general marketplace. We know that happened at least once. It could be, as some have alleged, that one of the um, workers at the virology lab took some infected dead animal bodies and sold them somewhere. It could be any number of things. Could have been released intentionally, though I doubt it, but could be any number of things. But the difference between first-degree murder and negligent homicide is not that... Well, you know, it's a difference of degree, not of kind, right? Now, in the midst of this growing epidemic in China, the Ministry of Science and Technology demanded that lab management be strengthened, especially with regards to viruses. Well, if it came from bats, why are you focusing on viruses in the midst of an epidemic? Why are you focusing on biosecurity? Because you know. Why are you pointing and screaming at the fish market that you scrubbed and destroyed? Therefore, there's no evidence. Because you know. You know. See, motives matter no matter what the crime. So whether it was released intentionally or not is relevant but not essential. If they had a bioweapons program, they would cover that up. In other words, if they had a bioweapons program, then they're in contravention not just of the health treaties, not of just generally lying to the world uh, against these grave treaties, but they're developing these terrorist weapons of mass destruction and are a rogue state, a terrorist state. They would face multi-trillion dollar sanctions and removal from the world trade organization and uh, tariffs and you name it, right? At least, right? So if they had a bioweapons program, and I believe that there was a scientific version of the virus, and I believe that there was a bioweapons version of the virus. Still doesn't mean it was released intentionally, but if they had a bioweapons program, what would they do? Well, they would point their finger somewhere else. They would threaten anyone who dared to speak up. 
They would demand that nobody publish any data. They would destroy all their samples. They would do exactly what they have done. Now, they couldn't say, at the very beginning, they couldn't say, oh, man, we know exactly how dangerous this thing is. We've got to alert everyone. This beast escaped from our virology lab. It's out there in the world. We have got to alarm everyone. We've got to shut all our borders. We've got to do this. We've got, why? They would ha- because to do that, they would say, we know exactly how dangerous this thing is. They had to play dumb and pretend that they didn't know exactly how dangerous it was. Because otherwise, they're revealing the existence of extraordinarily dangerous potential bioweapons programs. Again, I'm not saying this is proof that they have one. But if they did have one, this is exactly what they would do. So if they didn't have a bioweapons program, then they would cover up an incompetent leak of the virus, right? And this is for two reasons. They like, this is Chinese culture. They like to save face, of course. And of course, uh, money saving, right? So this is a multi-trillion dollar problem. Because if they didn't have a bioweapons program, but it's leaked from the virology lab from a scientific standpoint, then they're still liable for trillions of dollars, which we'll get into in a sec, right? Because the damage, you released it, you're still, even if it was an accident, you're still responsible for creating it and not having the security to keep it in place. So again, they would do exactly what they did. And of course, they want to damage the West, particularly America. It's hard to understand how much the Chinese Communist Party loathes and hates and wishes to destroy America, in particular the West as a whole, but America in particular, right? Now, Given the covering up an incompetent leak of the virus, if they came, if they kind of fessed up and and they just said, okay, uh, we were developing this thing, it wasn't a weapon, and here's how we can prove that, however they would do that. If they just said, oops, man, we leaked this thing, it's really bad, uh, it's really dangerous, it's going to be hell on wheels if this gets out, we've got to shut down Wuhan, we've got to shut down our airports, right? shut down your airports. Very, very important. If, if China had shut down its airports to the world, then we would not be dealing with coronavirus. We would not, but the rest of the world would would not be, right? So why would they be not honest about this, given that it's going to really harm their economy, given that they're going to face challenges and lawsuits in the international court and so on for the spread of this virus? Why would they go to this extent to cover up and lie about it? Well, it had to be a weapons program, because that's the one thing that's completely unforgivable. That turns into first degree, right? In some ways, right? So they sealed Wuhan off from China. One of the big criticisms is that they said to put a lockdown on Wuhan, but they let 5 million people leave. Chinese New Year, right? Big spread of people, biggest human migration in the world, right? So they sealed Wuhan off from China, but they didn't seal Wuhan or China off from the rest of the world. In other words, they kept the airports open, even in the city. So, of course, people flew back and forth to Italy in particular, where they work stitching together made-in-Italy handbags and other useless garbage. And um, that's one of the reasons why Italy has had such a horrible time with SARS-CoV-2, right? Dictatorships can handle pandemics better than paralyzed democracies, right? So you've got these cries of racism and fears of what to call it, and you can't close the borders, and like all of this paralyzed stuff that goes on in a democracy, well, I mean, you've got a pandemic in a totalitarian dictatorship, you just weld people into their houses, you just... I mean, there was reports of them burning people in the crematoriums alive. I mean, you just track people, you can disappear people, you can deal with it. So it's like, am I willing to lose 
a thousand of my own people to kill a hundred thousand of my enemy's people. Well, that's war. I mean, people say, well, why would they do that? It's like, you know, that's exactly what war is, right? That you, you know, you're going to lose some of your own soldiers, but you hope to kill more of the enemy's soldiers. And given the population of China and the population of America, say, and China's more than three times the size of America, about three times the size, four times the size of America, sorry. And so they can take a small loss to America's much larger loss, and that's how it's playing out. And in May 2019, remember I said there was a blog about how much the guy hated his wife and wanted to kill her? So China publicly announced that there was a people's war against the United States. They publicly said, of course, that we can't take on America militarily, so we'll have to use other ways of harming America. Again, this doesn't mean that it's a war weapon that was released intentionally, but if it's out and you hate America, they would do what they did. They would accuse America of racism for keeping Chinese people out. They would lie to the World Health Organization. They would rely on the head of the World Health Organization being a Marxist, communist fellow traveler. And that's how it would spread. That's what you would do. So let's just talk about the effects, right? Let's just talk about the effects. I'm going to take Britain, my home and native land, so it's born in Ireland, but I grew up in England, at least until the age of 11 or so. How Britain's policymakers were hampered by Chinese misinformation about coronavirus throughout January of 2020. This is from the Daily Mail again. Again, links will be below. So January the 13th, 2020, the first official Whitehall response to COVID-19, a meeting of the new and emerging respiratory virus threats advisory group, NERVTAG. The World Health Organization reports, based on Chinese data, they claim no evidence of Medics contracting the disease, only 41 cases, and no significant human-to-human transmission. Let's understand what this means, right? So if China's saying, oh man, you know, there's this new, this new virus out there, and it's hitting people who eat bat soup at a weird fish market in Wuhan, but it doesn't get transmitted to the medics, and it certainly doesn't go any real significant human-to-human transmission. Like maybe you have to be like elbow deep in the guy's gizzards in order to get it, like AIDS style or something like that, right? So then if you're the British government, what do you say? Okay, well, um, not a, we're not a big bat soup eating kind of place, and it's a long way away. It doesn't transmit to humans, so we're probably okay. So no evidence of medics contracting the disease, only 41 cases and no significant human-to-human transmission. All of this was untrue. Untrue. This is the crime, you understand? Like whether it's a bioweapon, whether it was released intentionally or not, not particularly relevant to this examination of the situation, but lying to a country where you are sworn to tell the truth. It's like being under oath. You can lie to your wife, you can lie to your doctor, you can lie to your dog, but under oath, it's perjury and you go to jail. Well, if you're not a Democrat. So this is pretty significant. They signed a sworn contract, which is far more important than being under oath in a courtroom that they would always tell the truth, be upfront and open and transparent about any potential pandemic, and they lied about it to the world, which is why you hear China lied, people died. That's true. It's a basic fact. So NERVTAG concludes, based on current available information, that risk to the UK population is considered very low and does not recommend shutting borders. So again, if it's out... Well, you're going to get harmed as China, but if you want to harm the West, and they're going to harm a lot more people in the West than you will your own people. 
Well, it's a, in a, as far as a bioweapon goes, it's a fantastic bioweapon. See, people say, well, it could kill more people. That's not the point. The point of a bioweapon is to destroy the economy, not to destroy people. In the same way that the French resistance under the Nazis aimed to wound the Nazi soldiers, not to kill them, because it drained more German resources, right? So that was January the 13th. January 21st, more than a week later, the World Health Organization decides it is not possible to say if the disease came from animals and had some human-human transmission or had self-sustaining human transmission. The latter is true and by this stage well-known in China. Self-sustaining human transmission, right? It's just, it's out and it's just escalating from there, right? This is the r naught that I talked about. Oh my gosh, it feels like a lifetime ago back in January when I first called this as a pandemic. You can see the thumbnail, people. So, self-sustaining human transmission. The World Health Organization said, oh yeah, who knows, right? But it's well known in China. But China is intimidating the witnesses and threatening, disappearing people who speak out. Nerve tag, right, the badly named British group, moves threat to low, but notes that it was concluded by the World Health Organization that the, quote, currently available data, end quote, did not make it possible to distinguish between the two scenarios, right? Some human-to-human transmission, self-sustaining human transmission, did the disease come from animals and so on? So it's gaslighting, fog of war, right? January 28th, a week later, NerveTag recognizes based on a World Health Organization Emergency Committee meeting of January 22nd that human-to-human transmission is occurring and says that in a, quote, large amount, and says that in a large amount of data from China, provincial information is not given. It's tough to tell the spread then, right? How fast it's spreading. So January 13th to January 28th. Now, of course, you know, based on the doubling situation or... I mean, we had an r naught a replication rate of two, three, four, five. I even heard higher numbers. So this really matters. At this point, coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, had not landed in England. It had not hit the British shores. It's important. Very important. January the 30th. Nerve tag warns that, quote, China may not be diagnosing milder cases. The following day. January the 31st, coronavirus hits the United Kingdom. January 13th to the 31st. Pushing three weeks. Three weeks of lies, obfuscation, misinformation, not just from China, but from the World Health Organization itself. Which, based upon the treaties, as far as I understand it, Other countries have the right to go in and have a look. And China said no to the World Health Organization people coming in. Why? One single week makes a huge difference in this situation. So, what are the remedies? So, in their letter to the British Prime Minister, 15 Tories wrote, quote, legally binding international health care regulations require states to provide full information on all potential pandemics. It appears likely that in its early response to the outbreak, China failed to uphold its obligations. Uh, the typo in the, all, all the sources I checked, so this is what it means. Legally binding international health care regulations. I mean, that's, it's a peace treaty. You break a tre- tre- peace treaty, you're back at war. But this is far more serious than a peace treaty because you can make peace with an enemy. You can't make peace with coronavirus. This omission, said the Tories, allowed the disease to spread throughout the world with extraordinarily serious consequences in terms of global health and the economy. 
British government officials met on January 13th and concluded the risk to the population was very low, as I mentioned. This was based on information from China, who claimed there was no significant human-to-human transmission and no evidence of medics getting the disease. Britain, they said, should pursue the Chinese government through international courts for £351 billion in coronavirus compensation. A major study into the crisis has concluded. This is from NSN. Legal avenues include bringing a case at the Permanent Court of Arbitration at The Hague against China for breaking sanitary commitments, going to the UN and International Court of Justice, or the World Trade Organization. But, of course, I assume that they're infested with communists as well, so who knows, right? So this is the 15 senior Tories, led by former Deputy Prime Minister Damien Green, right to Boris Johnson, who I think is now out of emergency or is out of um, serious care, to demand a rethink and reset in relations with Beijing. The first comprehensive investigation into the global economic impact of the outbreak concludes that the G7 group of the world's leading economies have been hit by $3.2 trillion of bills that could have been avoided if the Chinese Communist Party had been open and honest about the outbreak late last year. Britain's slice of the compensation sum includes the full cost of Chancellor Rishi Sunak's economic bailout and hike in national health service spending in response to the crisis. The landmark study also directly highlights crunch British policy decisions made earlier this year, such as not cancelling flights from London to Wuhan in January that were hampered or directly affected by misinformation from China and the acquiescent World Health Organization. Just defund all this garbage, please, for the love of all that's holy, can we do that now? The report to be published tomorrow by the Henry Jackson Society of British Foreign Policy Think Tank says there is evidence that China directly breached international health care treaty responsibilities and outlines 10 legal avenues major nations could take to pursue damages from them. There is a lawsuit in Texas. American lawyer Larry Klayman, who filed the $20 trillion lawsuit against the government of China, has claimed that the U.S. intelligence agencies have clinching evidence to prove that China has prepared the biological weapon COVID-19, as per a Sunday Guardian report published on 28th March. Larry has mentioned in his suit that the virus was prepared by China at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I mean, it's a big claim. But I'll tell you, one reason why I give this claim some potential for credibility is that if you look at the response of Western governments relative to the number of deaths, you know, people rightly point out lots of people die from the flu every year. There was a flu uh, epidemic in the 1950s that killed tons of people. And the response, the shutdown of the economy has been so strong. Now, part of it, of course, is the everlasting fascist socialist power grab that governments always want to use a crisis to expand their own powers at the expense of your futures, your liberties, your savings, your freedoms of of all kinds. So, of course, governments want to do that. But the response has been so wildly disproportionate to the so far number of deaths, although that will, of course, increase, that I believe that the leaders know something that we don't. And they're not letting it out. I think that a few select number of people know something that we don't about the danger of this virus or its capacity to mutate. It's an RNA virus. RNA mutates 100 times faster than DNA. So that's what uh, Larry Clayman says. Defending his allegations against China, Clayman said to Sunday Guardian that the coincidence of the existence of the only bioweapons laboratory in Wuhan, where the virus is believed to have emerged from, is a strong indicator that China prepared the virus that has afflicted at least 750 thousand people globally and rendered more than 27,000 dead. Of course, those numbers are much higher now. Quote, Wuhan was the epicenter of the coronavirus. 
It emerged from there. The only bioweapons laboratory in China is also in Wuhan. Two plus two equals four. The U.S. intelligence agencies know it, Clayman said. When asked if the $20 trillion lawsuit, evidently higher than China's GDP, can be enforced if he wins the class action suit, Clayman responded that he was confident of winning it. The reparations include, he said, punitive damages. China deserves harsh punishment. Once the court rules in our favor, which I'm confident it will, Chinese assets can be attached and liquidated as there are billions of dollars of Chinese investments in banks and investments, he said. A little awkward there, but we kind of, uh, we kind of understand that, right? And, uh, of course, there's evidence that uh, this researcher, she was working at Fort Dietrich developing these viruses until Obama shut it down, and then she went to Wuhan. So this is from Business Today and other sources, again, noted below. China could face trillions of dollars in international lawsuits for its handling of the coronavirus pandemic, which first emerged in Wuhan as early as November, according to a London-based think tank. Nations who are part of the G7 and other governments could sue the ruling Chinese Communist Party for damage to their economies and national infrastructure after the country breached the international health regulations, a legally binding international treaty to which China is a signatory. The Henry Jackson Society said in a report published this week. Quote from the report, these breaches allowed the outbreak to rapidly spread outside Wuhan, its place of origin. The report cited the failure to disclose evidence of human-to-human transmission for as long as three weeks after first becoming aware of it. Beijing also provided the World Health Organization with, quote, erroneous information, end quote, about the number of infections in early January while failing to ban the trade in, quote, dangerous viral host species for human consumption. End quote, it said. Chinese health authorities also allowed 5 million people to leave Wuhan by announcing a lockdown but not immediately implementing it, while also being aware that the coronavirus was spreading between people, the report found. It cited a University of Southampton study which found that the spread of COVID-19 could have been reduced by around 95% if the Chinese Communist Party had acted only three weeks earlier. Three Weeks, days are years in the mortality of the world during a pandemic. So the society recommended claimants use the International Court of Justice, the Permanent Court of Arbitration, the Hong Kong Courts, dispute resolution through bilateral investment treaties and the World Trade Organization. The international health regulations bind member states in their handling of health issues in general and highly transmissible diseases in particular and were adopted in the wake of the 2003 SARS epidemic during which China was also criticized over an attempted cover-up. They require, these regulations require signatory states facing potential outbreaks to monitor and share all information including clinical descriptions, laboratory results, sources of infection and type of risk, numbers of human cases and deaths, conditions affecting the spread of the disease and the health measures employed to tackle it. The report came as one of Asia's leading religious figures said China should compensate the rest of the world for its handling of the coronavirus epidemic, which is now a pandemic. Quote, the Chinese regime led by the all-powerful Chinese President Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party, not its people, owes us all an apology and compensation for the destruction it has caused. Myanmar's Cardinal Charles Bo, the president of the Federation of Asian Bishops Conferences, said. Well, of course, it's kind of tough to provide information about the source of a pandemic when shortly after identifying that source, you scrub, disinfect, and destroy it. Destruction of evidence is 
confession of crime. So, here we go. A man's wife goes missing. We shall end as we began. The case against China. He waits for over six weeks to notify the police. Is keeping information from the World Health Organization. He tells them, oh, my wife's fine. She called me after she went missing. She just wanted to hang out and drive around and all that. Now, this turns out to be a lie because they said there was no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission even after they knew that there was and even after Taiwan warned the World Health Organization that this was occurring. When the police asked to question this man, the man refuses. And this is not allowing international experts into Wuhan to look at the source of this and track it. When the police get a search warrant, it turns out that the man destroyed all his records and computers right after his wife went missing. His wife's bed and personal items and clothing were all incinerated. The house was scrubbed down. All traces of her are gone. That's the destruction of the fish market. That's the destruction of the viruses and the intimidation of witnesses to not talk about anything that's going on and provide no documentation to anyone. It also turns out that the man called the insurance company and demanded payment long before he called the police, right? This, of course, is the Wuhan Virology Institute filing for a patent, a Chinese patent, or on the free medication provided by the United States, Remdesivir, very early on. He also threatens anyone, this man, this husband, who knew his wife, if they ever said anything to the police. This, of course, is the intimidation, the threats against people speaking out about the truth of this virus. That's entirely on the Chinese Communist Party. He is found to have bought arsenic and chloroform. This is the long history in the Wuhan Institute of Myrology, as well as other places, as I mentioned before, of all of these bat studies, of trying to figure out how to get bat coronaviruses combined with other dangerous viruses, particularly SARS, to transmit to human beings, thus raising both the virulence and the transmissibility of the virus. So they had this on hand. They had studied it for years. He also has a blog where he said exactly how much he hated his wife and how he would kill her with arsenic. And this is the People's War there's documents from the 90s by Chinese generals about how what they will use any means necessary to take down the West. They hate the West. This is all very clear. The motive is very, very clear in this situation. It's publicly available records, and they have not been denied by the Chinese Communist Party. His wife is found dead and buried in his backyard. She died of arsenic. Chloroform is found on her face. the Chinese Communist Party, with aid of the U.S. government, was studying how to provide gain of function to dangerous bad coronaviruses, get them into human beings where they could do the most damage. High virulence, high transmissibility, combining the worst of both worlds to create an unholy brew that is currently taking down the economies of the world. That's what they were doing. This is all publicly available information. I will link to it below. Still up. This is what they were doing. And then, wouldn't you know it, a coronavirus that has exactly the characteristics that they have studied and created appears right outside the lab where they studied and created 
this monster. Come on. People, we need to wake up. This is, we cannot be dazed by the leftists in the media and in academia and so on to simply deny the basic evidence of what is right in front of our faces. Is the man guilty? Of course he is. If he's not guilty, then there's no such thing as justice, and we must disband the entire court system and let chaos reign. How was the wife murdered? It was the husband, with chloroform and arsenic. How was the world murdered? It is China. It's the Chinese Communist Party. With evil intent, unholy science, and some very bloody bats. <laughs>